How about, how about the spring day? I'm so glad winter's over, no more snow, no more sub-zero temperature, anything like that. Spring is here. Uh, yeah, especially in central Illinois. Um, I also hope it doesn't start raining during my talk. If anyone gets a reference, harvest, 2019. It wasn't even supposed to rain. Oh, my gosh. Um, I'm going to start with a story here. I, so I was pursuing a girl in high school, and uh, this was before Christ was in my life, by the way. And I was visiting her uh, work, visiting her at her work. It was Stone Canyon Pizza in Kansas City. Go Chiefs, by the way. Uh, I had to slip that in there. Um, while I was visiting her, I was catching these, uh, these weird vibes from her coworker, Jeremy, and his friends. They were just kind of avoiding eye contact, kind of ignoring me. And so I tried not to care. I tried to disregard. And uh, a little while later, I left the pizza place uh, and started going home. And, and I noticed this in my rearview mirror, this white car that was passing other cars on uh, residential streets to get right behind me. And I just had this suspicion that it was Jeremy and his friends. Uh, so ironically, I pull into a, a church parking lot, and uh, sure enough, Jeremy and his friends pull up next to me, and we roll down windows, and he proceeds to tell me, don't ever step foot in Stone Canyon again. And I was like, why? And he said, you looked at me wrong. And, and I was like, no, I didn't, and bring it on. And so uh, I got out of the car. He, got, he gets out of the car. And um, literally, this is how the conversation went. He said, you think you're all that, don't you? And I said, no, do you? And he said, yeah. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was literally the conversation. I remember it very well. And then um, I pushed him. And it was then that I realized that we weren't in middle school anymore uh, you don't push, you punch. Uh, and what happened next, this is not an excuse, but he was bigger than me. I just want to mention that for some reason. Um, but I push him, and then he gives me a roundhouse punch to my temple, and I don't remember too much. Uh, I, I go down, he beats up my head, uh, big welts, minor concussion, not good. That was the only fight I've ever been in, by the way. I'm a loser. Um, I'm not, ad, I'm not advocating fighting. Okay, anyway, um, I start with this story um, because before Christ was in my life, my behavior kind of makes sense. Uh, J Jeremy tells me never to step foot in the restaurant again, and I'm thinking, uh, I didn't do anything wrong here. I don't deserve to be told that. Uh, and, and so what am I going to do without Christ? I'm going to push back. I'm going to fight. Uh, I'm gonna, I, that's not just. That's, that's not right to treat me like that when I did nothing wrong. Uh, and it's, it's in these kind of moments that our sinful nature finds the most justification to lash out when we're mistreated in some way or even feel mistreated. And, and this is a pretty trivial example, you know, my fight. Uh, but it raises the question, why would we not take justice into our own hands when we're mistreated? Uh, or why would we not 
fight when we're blamed for something that's not our fault. Or as we see what's happening in 1 Peter, um, when, we're, when, we're, when we suffer for doing good, persecution from being a Christian, why would we not fight that injustice? And so we're going to be looking at 1 Peter again uh, this morning, and one of the overarching themes as we've been talking about, as we've heard in previous weeks, is that uh, we are aliens and strangers in this world, sojourners, exiles in this world. Like, this world is not our home. If you've said yes to Christ, you are an alien in this world. You are a foreigner. You're a stranger. This, this world is not your home. Our life, our hope, our joy is not ultimately in this life. And one application of that is that we stick out. When our home is not in this life, uh, we're going to look different. When our sense of identity and sense of who we are as a man or a woman is not in this world, we're going to look different. When we meet the brokenness of this world, we don't run from it, we engage it. When we meet the brokenness in our own hearts and soul, we don't run from it, we engage it, we treat we. We, we interact with these things in a totally different way because we're not of this world. And it's so cool how Peter, in this letter in 1 Peter, and then also other, other New Testament letter writers, how they begin to deal with this. They say, you are strangers. You are aliens. You are foreigners. So, act like it. It's not act different than the world, and then you will become strangers, and then you will become foreigners, exiles. Then you will not be of this world. It's you are the Lord's, so act like it. It's total encouragement and challenge at the same time. Kind of sounds like Jesus, right? Grace and truth together. It's always identity first, acceptance from God first, and then because of your identity, this is how you should act. This is the good news. Amen? This is the gospel, and when you switch those around and start emphasizing actions more than identity, then all of a sudden your false version of Christianity looks no different than any other, every other religion in the world. When we switch those around or emphasize actions more than identity or actions first. We're going to be in uh, t- uh, 10, 15 in your pew Bibles. I'm also going to have the verses up here. I got some ice in here too, thanks. So this identity first uh, is imperative because when we read First Peter by itself, uh, there are a lot of commands. And uh, the part of our, about our identity comes before this in chapter two. Doug spoke on it last week. Chapter two, nine, 10, and 11 particularly. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. 11, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against your soul. It's not abstain from sinful desires that wage war against your soul so that you will become, get the point, it's very clear and it's so encouraging and challenging at the same time. It is you are loved and so act like it. This works out on a practical level every day. You may fail, but you are loved and so act like it. Move forward. Stop, stop looking at your sin. 
Stop thinking about, or start thinking about how you are loved and so act like it. You may fail again and again and again. You are loved and so act like it. It's how we get back up and keep moving over and forward over and over and over because our failings don't define us anymore. Our failings don't change who we are, our, our identity anymore. Before Christ, it's, it, that is who you are. Your successes and failures define you. Praise the Lord, we've been set free from that. So also, uh, as we enter uh, 1 Peter 3, um, we must see how chapter 3 is a uh, continuation of what started in chapter 2, uh, chapter 2 with verse 9 and 10 and 11 with the identity. And then since we are for foreigners, uh, verse 13 in chapter 2, submit yourselves to the government. You can go to the next slide. <clears throat> okay, well, it's okay. Um, si- look at your Bibles. Um, since you are for foreigners, verse 13, submit yourselves to the government. And then verse 18, slaves, submit yourselves to your masters. And then starting in chapter 3, it's just a continuation. Uh, wives, how you should submit to your own husbands. And then verse 7, how husbands should act toward wives. And then verse 8 And on, the rest of chapter 3, addressing on how everyone should act in the midst of particularly suffering for doing good. Identity and foundation, chapter 2, 9, 10, 11, and then all of these, you shoulds. Uh, And if you notice, in this section, Peter has more to say to slaves and wives than to husbands. And uh, the probable reason for that is that, especially at this time that it was written, slaves and wives uh, were the ones that were more likely to be mistreated. Because once again, this big chunk of First Peter is, is talking about what the Christian response to mistreatment should be, and, and suffering should be, and persecution should be. An example of this in, is in chapter 2. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. Not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. What? For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. Really? Like that's hard to, that's, that's hard to accept. And to me, it, it totally makes sense. A couple reasons why Peter is talking about this response to mistreatment. One, because he was talking to an audience that was suffering a lot for being Christians. Um, but also because in principle, and this is a little more relevant for us in our day, I think, when we're mistreated, especially, you know, if it's unjust treatment, the content of our character comes out the most. I mean, it's pretty good, it's pretty easy to con- convince ourselves that we're pretty good people until we're, we're blamed for something that's not our fault, or we're mistreated in some way. At least that's how it works for me. Our response to mistreatment and suffering really shows whether we are a foreigner in this world or or whether we are of this world. Because it's when we're mistreated that, once again, our sinful nature finds the most justification in fighting for ourselves, in asserting our innocence, in asserting our being right, in asserting our Christian values. And I see this in my life many ways. One way is in my marriage at home, uh, if I'm honest, there are multiple times in the week 
where I feel, keyword feel, not necessarily based in reality, but I feel that I'm blamed for something that's not my fault. And those are the moments where it's the hardest to hold my tongue. I mean, my pride swells, my arrogance swells, and I'm like, it's not my fault, it's someone or something else's uh, fault. Because once again, when we're mistreated, or even feel mistreated, this does not have to be legitimate here, it just takes being fe- feeling you're, like you're mistreated when our, when our maturity or lack thereof comes out. And so First Peter, first Peter uh, 3 um, I'm not, I'm not going to focus too much on verses 1 through 7 about husbands and wives because that's just not where God led me. It's a God thing. I'm not afraid to go there. Uh, there are some juicy verses in there which would be fun to talk about. Um, but I will say this. Verse 1 says, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Verse, verse 7, husbands, in the same way, be considered as you live with your wives. In the same way. So the question is, what way is that? And so we're going to look at a little context preceding this. In chapter 2, verse 13, it says, to submit ourselves to every human authority. Why? And that includes the government. Why? It says, for the Lord's sake. Chapter 2, verse 18, it says, Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. And in 2.23, it says, Jesus did not retaliate when he suffered. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. In what way should wives submit to their own husbands and husbands be considered of their wives? It's in reverent fear of God. It's, it, it's, it's for the Lord's sake. It's entrusting themselves to God as though serving God and not their spouse. God is the point of reference. The reason for submission is not the government for the citizen. It's not the master for the slave. It's not the quality of husband for the wife. The reason for submission says it's the Lord. And that's a challenging word, but it's also freeing. Even the people suffering for doing good, as we'll read later in chapter 3, they are to, in verse 15, revere Christ as Lord. Like, that's why they endure suffering without lashing out back. That's the orientation that we are called to have. That's, That's the posture that we have. We endure mistreatment and obedience to the Lord. 1 Peter 3, 9 says, Do not repay evil with evil or Insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you are called. This isn't some nonchalant thing. This isn't some optional thing. If you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're called to this. So that you may inherit a blessing. This is when we're going to stick out the most. Because if we're obeying verse 9, then we're going to be actually acting like we, we are not of this word. We're going to be actually acting like we follow Jesus. And so what did Jesus do? In chapter, in the face of mistreatment, in chapter 2, once again, to this you are called. Not optional. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. It's not just that he had to endure mistreatment so that he could be crucified for the one-time act of redemption and forgiveness of sins. Peter says it's all the time. It's not just this one-time thing that, P, that, that Jesus did 
We follow this example all the time. You should follow, he says, you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. Don't you want to be, I want to be like that. Not just at home, on, on campus, Facebook. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. It's absolutely crazy for me to think uh, of Christians in that day just taking persecution and this kind of persecution that they were enduring and then blessing the persecutor. Not retaliating in the face of insult or confiscation of property. I mean, could you imagine being a man providing for your family, your kids, and experiencing that and blessing the persecutor? These are challenging things. So challenging. You know, especially when we're living in this country now. We are such fighters to preserve our Christian rights in our quote, quote, Christian nation. And that's, not that that's not called for sometimes to stand up, but, but insult and retaliation Rather than giving blessing in the face of insult? We're called to follow Jesus. Jesus! Not something, not anything else. Not a platform, not a person. Jesus. And what did Jesus do? We gotta look at scripture and remind ourselves over and over because the world tells us if we're gonna fight, we need to fight like the world. But look at Jesus, oh my, God, I want to be like you. Don't you want to be like him? In the face of what's going on more and more in our country, this is how we respond. This is how we respond. This is what we're called to. Then later in chapter three, it says, who is going to harm you for for doing good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. So I'm going to hit on that a little later. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. This is the context this verse is in. We'll we'll touch on that. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Here's my takeaway for us in this day and time where we don't experience persecution like this much in our country. First, I want to define the word victim. Victim is a person harmed, injured, or killed as a result of crime, accident, or other event or action. In summary, a person is a victim if they're not at fault. They've suffered unjustly. They've suffered in some way, not of their fault. Here's the thing. We like to believe that we're victims so much of the time. I'm the first to admit it. It's subconscious, I think, a lot of times. We must be self-examining. We must be uh, self-aware. And then we use that to justify all kinds of things. Uh, Harsh words, broken relationships, distance in relationships, pity parties, grumbling, complaining. Because what's the temptation, once again, when we feel like the victim, when we're, when we're mistreated in some way, is to take justice into our own hands, to stand up for ourselves. But Peter says we're called to something. We're called to follow Christ. If anyone had the right to justify himself, 
It would have been Jesus. He committed no sin, and yet he still didn't take matters into his own hands. And then here we are, and we can't stand, we can't bear to not have the last word in an argument. We gotta have that last word. The Holy Spirit won't convict. I need to convict. God won't justify me. I need to justify me. But then, (laughs) I don't know about you, but I think, okay, if I don't say anything, then I'll just be a pushover or an enabler, right? Anybody else think that? I do. Maybe a lot of men can relate to me when I say, I don't want to appear weak like that. I want to be a fighter, right? But was Jesus a pushover? That's the question. Was Jesus a pushover? And I would say absolutely he was not a pushover. And the reason why was because he chose to endure it. He chose to endure it. He could have done something about it, but he chose to endure it. And likewise, when we let God deal with people in our lives, we are choosing to let things off our back, even though we could do something about it, knowing that God doesn't let it off his back. It's, it's grounded in this rock-solid faith. It's the insecure people that think that they have to fight, fight, fight. No, we're secure in Christ. We know we let things off our back knowing that God won't let it off his. He will not let it off his. That's the God I believe in. He's a strong God, and he is just. A pushover is basically a coward who lets people push them around because they're afraid of the people. They're, pr- they're afraid of people, so they let them push them around. But we, we don't fear people. We fear the Lord. Even Peter says in verse 13, do not fear people. We are to courageously endure and even to appear as to be a pushover sometimes. That's what we're called to because we know who God is. He'll set things straight. He'll set things straight. We don't have to all the time. And if you're a person here that avoids conflict because of fear, I think, like, if we're honest, a lot of us struggle with this. Uh, Let this not be a teaching that excuses you for that, where it's like, oh, I can avoid conflict now. Like, that's not, that's just not the context. Sorry. Don't hear that. It's, it's good to overlook things in people, but the minute you find yourself starting to become bitter towards someone, you're called to practice healthy conflict resolution. And, and, and uh, one could argue that it's not just that we stay silent when, when falsely accused or, or um, mistreated, uh, but that it's the manner in which we confront that. Not hatefully, not hatefully, not in anger, not harshly, not insulting, but humbly. And sometimes, I think this is a word for us, sometimes we just need to stay silent and, 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 and demonstrate our trust in God in that way. Here's where I'm getting at. We believe we're victims all the time, so we use that to justify harsh words, judgment on others, anger, when are we really the victim? Really? Like, I bet, I would say nine times out of ten, it's pretty debatable if we are com- the completely innocent party. And yet, P- 
Peter says to people in situations where there is absolutely no question that they are the victims, like for sure, to them, they were no doubt victims. And even to them, Peter says, the call of being a Christian is submission, it's enduring, it's blessing, it's humility, keeping silent. How much more to us where being a victim is very debatable most of the time. And when we do this, when we do this, employees with harsh bosses, wives with husbands, all of us, when we do this, people will see that we are not of this world. And that is the context in which verse 15 is embedded. People are going to ask, what on earth is your hope? Because it sure isn't something of this world, because you don't fight the way the world fights And then we share the hope that we have in gentleness and respect. Our life is hidden in Christ. It's not in this world. So we don't have to fight. We don't have to uh, have the last word because we know that God's going to have the last word. We entrust ourselves to him who judges justly. A little summary statement, uh, statement and then a story to close. I can follow Jesus' example of enduring mistreatment, knowing and believing that God will right every wrong. We can endure because we know God will right every wrong. We don't have to. And I'm going to end with this last story of yet another one of my failures. It's always fun to listen, about, listen to people talk about their failures, right? Um, a couple months ago, I was driving, and uh, I had Jen in the passenger seat. My kids were in the back, and uh, I was merging onto 74 from 155, going toward Bloomington up there in Morton. And if you know it, it's a really short merge lane. Like, you have to get on to 74 pretty quick. And so I was on the merge ramp, and uh, there was a car tailgating me uh, on the merge ramp. And, you know, that's, that, that's frustrating, but it's, you know, relatively easy to brush off. But then, before I could merge on to 74, this car that was tailgating, uh, tailgating me merged on, or got on to 74 before me and then sped up next to us and prohibited us from merging on. I had to drive on the side for a while and I was irate. I honked, I sped up to them because it was an injustice, right? I was not going unreasonably slow on that uh, on-ramp. And then, and yet they were rude. They put, they put my family in danger by not letting me merge on and I did not respond well. And it just so happens that they were getting off at Morton just like us. And so I pulled up next to them at the stoplight, and I just yelled harshly. I was like, what did you do that for? And um, the lady looked at me, saw my harsh face, and just lost it. And it was sad. I was, she just lost it and yelled and gave me a really rude gesture, if you know what I mean. And Olivia was watching the whole thing. My kids were watching the whole thing. (laughs) And just shortly after that, like, once again, our identity doesn't change who we are. So it's not that we fail. It's how we we respond to our failure. And I just just repented. It's like, okay, I, I responded to my mistreatment in a wrong way. I let the anger get the best of me. 
And I just want to encourage you, let this morning be just a time of repentance. I mean, it's tiring. It's tiring to have the last word all the time. It's tiring to continue to fight for what is right and assert being right and assert Christian values on a nation. It's tiring. Are you tired of playing the judge? Are you tired of playing God? He's the judge. We need Jesus. I need Jesus. We praise him for his forgiveness, but we need his strength to follow his example, which we're called to. And we need discernment on when to say something and when not to, right? Because we need to say something, but always when we choose to say something, it has to be out of love. Not harshly, but humble. Let me pray. Um, Lord God, uh, Jesus, you alone, you alone are worthy of all worship and praise. You alone are our righteousness. We are not our righteousness, and we just declare that this morning. Thank you, God, for setting us on a firm foundation, Lord, that you have declared us as yours. That our successes and failures no longer define us. What? Praise you, God. Lord, help us to walk in that freedom in such a way, God, that after we fail over and over, when we do that, Lord, over and over, that we can just keep moving forward, praising you, God, all the more. And uh, Lord, help us to run to you more and more. Amen. Thanks. Uh, This concludes the service. Uh, Dale will be in the office, and we're having lunch, so join us if you can. Thanks. And go Chiefs.